Jedi Council is a podcast for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast, where we like to explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. This is your good pal graduate student, Brandon Saxton. And your other good pal, Professor Katie Gordon. Hi Katie, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm actually technically an associate professor in case there are people really paying attention to those different rankings. I don't want to misrepresent myself. What are the different rankings? I don't don't think many people, I think most people just know professor and that's it. I think you're right. Well, when you start, you're an assistant, and then typically your next promotion is to associate, and then the next promotion is to full professor, but they usually just use the term professor, Mm -hmm. and when you're assistant, you're not really assisting anyone. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of to indicate your beginning rank as a professor, so I have been promoted to associate professor, but not full yet. Okay. Yeah. So, your most middlest ranked professor. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Exactly. How dare I'm a, I? A no. lowly graduate student. <laughs> uh, well, it's nice to start things off with a, a little history of the uh, professorial ranking system <laughs> on the Jedi Council. So many find it fascinating. Yeah. The Jedi Council Academic Podcast. <laughs> okay, folks. Well, we'll quit wasting your time because <laughs> we, we do you, have stuff to talk about. We do. Although, I guess I should say now, if you do like are looking for a good psychology academic podcast, the Black Goat podcast mm-hmm. is a good one. It's run by three psychologists in academia. And so if you're interested for valid information mm-hmm. about psychology and academics, I suggest them. Yeah, They're they good. recently had an episode sort of about imposter syndrome I saw. And oh. like being a professor or an academic or researcher and not feeling like you're quite qualified and how you can manage and navigate that. So it is pretty good stuff. That's great. And I think they they try to focus on issues that are important to academics who are kind of early mm-hmm. career and graduate students. But even as a, a middle ranked person, <laughs> I still find it very helpful. Yeah, I can imagine so. But as for today, we'll leave that to the great folks over at the Black Goat Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on our part two of our mini-series on Get Out. So maybe just to quickly recap from the first part, which if you haven't listened to, I would probably suggest it uh, because it kind of, we're going to be building on some of the ideas today. So if you haven't heard the first part of the Get Out uh, two-part series, I would say probably give that a listen. Um, But maybe just to briefly recap, uh, we both really liked the film Get Out, thought it was really good. I had a hard time remembering the specifics of the plot in our recap. But uh, only because it had been a while since we'd seen it. Because it has been a while, yeah. We we've covered. It a was lot. a thinker, not it was just a, a watcher. That's right. Nonetheless, it was, it was a <laughs> time thinker. had passed. Yep. Uh, but time had passed, and now it's uh, out, released for Blu-ray, DVD, mm-hmm. and digital download. So I I'm certainly probably going to pick up a copy. Though I've been trying to limit my Blu-ray acquisitions, but this one's gonna it's gonna be picked up for sure. I think it's worth it. I think there's some extra stuff on there too, and I would be interested to see that, including I heard an alternate ending, although oh lots of spoilers if we haven't said that yet. Oh, I mean you course. were saying watch it first, but also um if you don't want spoilers for get out, then please then turn get off the out. podcast. Yes. <laughs> but come ah, back. <laughs> yeah, but come back eventually, please. For more of Brandon's get out jokes. Yeah. Yeah, they're just getting started, so <laughs> they're gonna be a lot more along that theme. Um uh, have you seen you haven't seen the alternate? No, I okay. because I 
I like the ending that was in the movie because it was it kind was of awesome. a happy ending and hilarious. Yeah, and so. I mean, as happy as it can be after yeah, all the crap I they went through. I just feel bad saying it was hilarious because there was a lot of really bad stuff that happened at the end and death. Yes, but I think what you meant, if I may be so Please. old, is that Rod was hilarious My favorite and character. wonderful. And he was great. And it was a happy ending considering the circumstances. Yes. And yeah. I would hate to see that go away. And do you know the content of the alternate ending? No, I have even been avoiding hearing what the content is. Although if I purchase it, I will probably watch it. Yeah, I, w- I would as well. In fact, I might just look it up on YouTube even because I might not be able to wait until I purchase it. Okay. I'm so curious. And then decide if I can handle it. I will. <laughs> I'll make that decision. I will bear that burden. <laughs> no, it's it, this is, you know, um, Brandon and I have said we're not big into the horror genre, but mm. this is outstanding. I mean, I think it was kind of people viewed it as game-changing within the mm-hmm. genre. It was really different. It appealed to broad audiences. As we mentioned last time, it had 99% fresh on Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes. They're not always right. See, Batman yeah. vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. But sometimes they're mm-hmm. right. And this, this is time. one of them. Yeah. yeah. They've had some misses. <laughs> you still haven't forgiven them, have you? Even though it's not like a them, it's like a compilation of people. I would like to have that site shut down. <laughs> That's how I feel. You don't trust <laughs> the math. You'd like an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, definitely. I want to see the data. Okay. Well, I can understand that. So anyway, maybe let's dive in today. Uh, Today we're going to talk just as a little uh, maybe preface, uh, set the stage, set an agenda. Mm -hmm. We'll be talking a little bit about um, delivering culturally competent treatments. And that will probably be more at the back end of the episode, Mm -hmm. sort of guessing. And we'll talk a little bit more about Jordan Peele and some of the goals he had when he set out in making Get Out and some of the concepts related to racism in the movie and just kind of uh, what do we know about that from an academic perspective that's specifically related to what uh, the work we might do in a clinical setting. Yes, that's exactly right. And so something that we mentioned last time is that and kind of view things as different in terms of uh, lived experience. Brennan mm-hmm. and I both are white and have, you know, observed and talked to people about these things, but certainly the experience of racism is different for people who that is focused on or or targeting. And so what we want to do is also mention for um, other perspectives from psychologists of color some other podcast possibilities. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to link to one that I saw that was, uh, it it listed five mental health podcasts by therapists of color. I haven't had a chance to listen to them yet, Mm -hmm. but I'm interested and they seemed very interesting. One that was not on the list, but I think I would add it to the list if I was making the list is Naming It, which is a podcast by Dr. Bedford Palmer II and Dr. Lamisha Hill. And this is their description of it. Naming It is a podcast a Bay Area podcast dedicated to exploring the intersections of social justice and current events through the lens of two black psychologists. And I've been really impressed by their episodes. They talk about some serious issues, but also have really nice back and forth and humor. And definitely you get a sense for their personalities. They've had some very interesting guests on. So I really like their podcast and just a recent example of how they tie psychology to current events. Fairly recently, there was a CNN pundit who referred to Senator Kamala Harris as hysterical during um, the sessions uh, while she was questioning sessions. And so 
Dr. Palmer and Dr. Hill went into some of the historical meaning from a psychological perspective slash medical perspective of hysterical and how that's been used in the past. And I thought that was really fascinating. So I definitely re- recommend checking them out and we'll link to them. I, I want to add something mm-hmm. too is it's uh, it's not a podcast that you need to be a psychologist to listen to. I just want to make yeah, sure that's Yeah, that's a clear. great yeah. point. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a podcast that's... Uh, it's. Uh, accessible for anyone is what I, I'm I agree to say. with yeah. you. I think they do a great job of making it accessible to to people without a psychological background. Yeah, so. absolutely. It, so, in what I'm trying to say is, you really don't need the training uh, to pre- appreciate the content. It's very deliverable, and, and really anyone can consume it and interesting. And like you said, they're they're actually just really quite funny in the way that they uh, have a nice back and forth. It's something that. And I, I will strive to model it, to develop a back and forth on this show. I, exactly. No, I, I was thinking the same thing. And, you know, so I, it's very important for Brandon and I as psychologists, as instructors, mm-hmm. along those lines, it's very important for us to be aware of racism and learn about these things. Some of my background includes I teach the diversity and clinical mm-hmm. psychology class here. Brandon took the diversity mm-hmm. in clinical psychology. Just barely class. passed it. <laughs> I don't. I don't seem to recall that, though. I can't disclose it due to regulations related to educational privacy. <laughs> oh, I tried to entrap you there. Good, good, good I didn't call. fall for your trap. But I'm trying um, to turn this into just the Brandon Saxton podcast. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> so you know, the the point is that th- these things are of interest to all of us yeah. as... Uh, I, I, I should jo- clarify, of course, that, I, of course, uh, I also take it very seriously. And I didn't almost just fail the class. I took it very seriously. And yeah. It was a wonderful class. And you did very well in the class, if I can say that sure. publicly. Um, so so anyway, um, the point is that the racism and race-related themes in this movie and otherwise are of concern to all of us. They affect all of us. They hurt all of us. And if we're not aware of them, we're not as effective as therapists, mm-hmm. as instructors, or interacting with people. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to us, but we just wanted to suggest that you also listen to people who have lived experience with mm-hmm. this stuff. So there are limitations. And also, if we get something incorrect, please let us know, mm-hmm. because we're striving to learn. And I've learned a lot. I keep learning, yeah. and it's, it's really important. So, so anyway, with all of that being said, maybe we'll start talking about Get Out. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So uh, you told me a little about this, so I might lean on you a little bit. You listened to a podcast with Jordan Peele on. Have I got mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was talking a little bit about some of his experiences and his fears about racism and how, and correct me if I'm saying this wrong, was the what I was trying to say is that uh, he tried to channel a lot of that into Get Out in a way where he took something that was entertaining and interesting and really well done, the movie Get Out, and tried to make it a thinker and a talker where people are mm-hmm. talking and getting maybe introduced or uh, bringing some of these ideas or concerns that he's having into into the light for people that might not have otherwise thought about it. Am I kind of capturing that correctly based on what you heard? Yeah, his concern was that, so he specifically said, and we'll link to the podcast if you want to listen to it, mm-hmm. it's, really, it's really interesting. So he said that he wrote this while Obama was president and that there were people saying, also, I, I should say, again, this podcast, we have international listeners, which I'm grateful for. This is mostly oh, going to focus on United States just because that's what I, we're most familiar yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. But he said that there seemed to be a sense by some people saying that once Obama became president that we were living in a post-racial society, that racism didn't exist anymore, and we don't need to talk about it anymore. Well, 
Uh, he didn't think that was true. A lot, you know, a lot of other people didn't think that was true. So what he wanted to do was to show individuals who might think that um, some themes as to where racism might still exist through this movie. He wanted to do it in an entertaining way with some comic relief, and that was fun. And also he liked horror films, so he chose something he was passionate about. But he also put in some serious messages within it, too. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked, uh, you said something about uh, how he really views art as a weapon against the horrors of the world. And I thought that was really something that I really connected with, or appreciated at least, if nothing else. Uh, because I think that, uh, I don't know, I think it's it's a good, sometimes art, I, I worry, gets a little undervalued by some people. Or sometimes it seems like, I can't remember exactly who said this. It might have been Neil deGrasse Tyson who said something along the lines of, you know, if we're, if not for art, then what is the point of even like trying to save the world or preserve the world? Because that's really just, there's so much humanity and meaning and, and everything that's just really involved in art of any form. So I thought that was really nice. And to see Jordan Peele talk about that as well, uh, I, I just like that being brought into it and using art as a mechanism of change through which the world can be improved in sort of that bi-directional way was, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I really like that too. And he said that he thinks that, you know, part of horror films really can be to escape real horrors that or fears mm -hmm. that people are experiencing. And that made sense to me because I kind of, not being a big fan of the horror genre, was kind of like, I think I've said genre 20 times in the past okay. 10 minutes. And I, what if I'm pronouncing it wrong? I don't know. But <laughs> you can only do your best. <laughs> it's pronounced genre, <laughs> right? <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I'm changing it. Um, No, but on a serious note, he, you know, he said that like, when he put it that way, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, it's the horror film you watch for 90 minutes and you escape the reality. Because I was kind of of the mindset of, like, there are some horrible things, like, in the news. Why would I then go watch something right. horrible that's fictional? And so he described it that it could be cathartic as well. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. I like hearing how people make things anyway. So hearing how, I mean, he was so thoughtful about every single piece of this movie that he still has edits he would have made which That's astounded so me because yeah. i thought it was perfect i mean <laughs> it's one of the maybe the only movies where i because I, I think i've talked about cinema sins on this before yeah and i've unfortunately i've watched too much cinema sins and what it is is a youtube series where they pick out little details or things that are kind of uh what they call sins in a movie or errors or anything mm -hmm. like that and unfortunately, because I've watched so many, I've adapted sort of a very critical mindset when I'm watching movies. I'm like, oh, well, that's mm -hmm. a little weirder. Do I mean, you do the little chime when you see? I literally, in my head, sometimes do based on specific things that happen because the chime is associated with a specific thing that's like a common thing that happens in a lot of movies, particularly like too many logos or anytime mm -hmm. there's narration, like anything like that. That's something that always chimed. Do you do that while we're recording the podcast no. and I make errors? Never, ever. Uh, okay. no, it's only based on movies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> that being said, there was nothing in this movie that, which I think they just released their mm -hmm. Get Out Cinema Sense, so I won't watch it to break my view of the film but yeah they uh there was nothing in the movie where i was like well that doesn't really make sense or i always like continuity or is always bothering mm -hmm. me in movies and there's nothing like that it was so well done so to hear him say there's even more he would change which of course i think his changes are probably much deeper or more meaningful than like a continuity error or yeah. a, a prop mistake. I'm, he's not talking about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's just my superficial view of movies. Mm -hmm. He's taking on a much more meaningful approach, of course. So that well, that is interesting. I would be interested just to see what they picked out. But, I'm interested. But, but you're right. Too, yeah. Nothing jumps out like that, though, because it just seems so carefully 
crafted and executed that it just mm-hmm. was outstanding. So. Yeah, absolutely. So should we we talk a little bit about some of the racism-related concepts in the movie, or do you have anything else to say about Jordan Peele before we move on? I, yeah. I, I know one thing for me that I still have is I'm not terribly familiar with Jordan Peele, just... Mm-hmm. Uh, I you didn't watch any. Have you seen some key and I, I actually never have. Oh actually. really? No, I. Oh, they're uh, really good. I've like almost never had like cable TV my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents got it like right before I moved out, and then I've never had it on my own. Uh, I watch them all on YouTube. I'm surprised okay, I, I haven't sent any to you. Yeah, so well, get ready because I'm going to be sending you several of my favorite clips. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I, I need to see it, and I like Key and Peele, and I've mm-hmm. seen them pop up in movies together, mm-hmm. which is fun. Um, and like season one of Fargo, they popped up in that. And I was like, "Oh, this is so." Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm. They See, play I haven't FBI. watched Fargo. Oh, it's really good, and and they play a couple FBI agents, and uh, and they're always so funny. So in my mind, that's the association I have. They're they're really funny. Everything I'm seeing them, they made me laugh. Um, and this movie, of course, did make me laugh at a few parts, but it's much more meaningful than I understood. Uh, which isn't to say that uh, Jordan Peele isn't uh, deeper and meaningful. It's just. It was new for me, is what I'm trying to say, and I I really appreciated this new side to him that I wasn't familiar with before, just because of my lack of exposure to a lot of uh, his work or things that he's talked about. Oh yeah, I agree. I I can't wait to see what he does next, and I think you'll like Key and Peel is my guess because they're it's it's funny, but he really does use his gift of satire and absurdity. To point out real underlying issues. Sure. And so they do. I shouldn't give them mm. all the credit, but I didn't listen to a podcast with Key, so yeah. I don't know what he's thinking. We can I'm only sure. guess. We can only guess. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also thought something that was clever that, that stood out to me is that he he was thinking about how to reduce defensiveness because you've I've certainly experienced this in um, settings where if you talk about race, sometimes individuals get defensive, like you're accusing them of uh, being racist, even mm-hmm. if you're talking about racism. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's one thing I, I really like about the Naming It podcast is their logo has an elephant in it, the elephant in the room. They're they're naming and talking about racism and social justice issues, and they're just being really clear about that, and I admire that because I think that's that's really important in order for progress to be made. So one thing that I thought was brilliant is that in order to reduce defensiveness, um, Peel said that he made it so that we're all on Chris's side, which we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. in the last episode, and he's the protagonist, and it's a, like a visceral way to experience empathy for what he's going through and to learn more about his experience because we're I, because a lot of people are identifying with him regardless of our own background and, mm-hmm. and, and regardless of our ethnicity, we, we're rooting for him, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means we're more prone and less defensive about uh, the things you know, about pushing away his experiences, right? And he, it seemed like a lot of people felt that way. There are probably people who responded defensively, but obviously overall there was a great response to this. So I thought that was very clever and something that therapists, that's a lesson to me as a therapist too, about thinking about um, presenting and as a teacher presenting information in a way that you know, and I would never tell other people that they have to do this. I would never mm-hmm. tell other people how they have to present information, and you don't have to do that. But for me, um, thinking about effective ways to do that, maybe taking a note from him and thinking about how, what are the the places that people can identify. Mm-hmm. I have to, if I can uh, flatter you on air for just a moment. Please. Uh, <laughs> in the class that you taught on diversity in clinical psychology, I think one of 
the many really awesome things that you did in the class actually mirrors what we just talked about, which is reducing defensiveness. Because, uh, of course, the like you said, the only way to really make progress and connect to people is to try to reduce that. And you really did an exceptional job of Thank that, you. I thought, as well. Yeah. Um, so I, it's it's cool to see you have another tool in that sort of toolbox of a skill that I thought that you were already good at because we had a fairly uh, large class of mm-hmm. like nine or ten people mm-hmm. with a variety of different backgrounds and experiences. So to bring all of those people together and talk about some of these challenging topics, uh, I can't imagine the, how challenging that could be. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting well, to, thank you. to uh, reflect on that as you were speaking. Yeah, Thank you. I appreciate that. And I have to say your class was outstanding because of the willingness to engage and think about things and to work on noticing your defensiveness mm-hmm. and letting it go, which in therapy, I mean, that can happen. Mm-hmm. If a client says something and you start to feel defensive, it can affect your relationship with them. So just being able to identify mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. So thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that. Absolutely. So uh, maybe we can jump into the movie a little bit and talk sure. about some of the specific content. So we talked about some last week, but we left a little bit for this week. And one of the first ones that I want to jump off with, because I it, it popped up right away in the beginning, and this is when things sort of started to sink into place. So do, uh, we had a couple of takes for our first mm-hmm. uh, episode. So could you remind me, did we talk about the police officer at the beginning? Because I think that was the first sign of anything related to racism in the film. I think that might have been or did we cut. That cut. Or okay. No, actually, I don't think we cut it. I just think it was in one of the first takes, and I don't think it was in the final take that we did. Okay, but so I'm not, we I, may I'm not have spoken about sure. it. I don't remember. But if so, we'll be a little redundant. If so, we'll be a little redundant, mm-hmm. because I think it's relevant to what we're talking about mm-hmm. today. So that was the first sort of sign of things is... I don't remember. Is does are they uh, met with by the police officer before or after they hit the deer or almost hit the deer? I can't remember That's exactly. That's a good how it question. Comes. It's another one of these parts of the film where I can't remember the exact yeah, details. Yeah, and that is on YouTube, so we probably should have looked it up. But the but the main theme and the point of it was that it was an opportunity for his girlfriend to speak up and mm-hmm. notice the different way she's been treated perhaps mm-hmm. by police officers. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Yep, he sort of asks uh Chris for his ID and she says, "Well, why do you need to see his ID? He wasn't even driving." And it is kind of the first sign of Chris being treated differently uh because of race uh, compared to his girlfriend whose name was Rose. Right, who was not, and we'll get into later. Uh a little more sinister than I expected at that point in the movie. Yeah, because yeah. in that scene, he's actually, you know, kind. it seems kind of impressed because he sta- she Very stands up so. for him, and I think they've been dating for four months, and yep. she and he's he's glad about that because, unfortunately, little does he know about what's to come. Yeah, uh, things are, they take a turn for the worst. They the really least. do. So maybe we should dive right back into that and talk about, I mean, the whole goal of Rose bringing him there is that she kind of, she identifies black men, starts dating them, brings them back to the parents. As we discussed at length last time, mm-hmm. the mom hypnotizes them. Yep. They go to the sunken place, yep. which Peel said is a metaphor for being marginalized. Mm-hmm. And that is such a powerful analogy or metaphor, depending on how you want to say it, because The person is kind of aware of what's going on, but they can't move Mm -hmm. or control their own body. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, I was thinking about that more last time because I think when we were talking about the negative effects of the hypnosis, you said, you know, one of the negative outcomes is they lose their body. And I was thinking about it a lot since then. I was like, that is such a powerful way to get across this idea of what it feels like 
to be marginalized, I imagine, if that was his point, which mm -hmm. it sounds like it was, this idea that you can see what's going on, but you have limited power to control it. And so um, one of the reasons that that's happening is because there are people who have various medical ailments and they are... Um, they can purchase at an auction, right? Mm -hmm. uh, black people's bodies, yeah. and there's a surgery that the dad does. Yeah, that implants them in the in the black person's body, and then yep. they have a younger body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the the hypnosis is sort of a way, which of course uh, this is not scientific at all. It's just part of the right. narrative of the film, yeah. just to clarify. It's sort of a way to kind of scoot over or inhibit the consciousness of the person who of the person in your own body mm -hmm. so that through some procedure that they don't really explain or show too much of which is fine it's not relevant and mm -hmm. and uh well it is obviously clearly relevant but the specific nitty-gritty details no no, no. i don't are. think don't i wouldn't take notes on how that surgery no, is conducted. no 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 uh somehow they move the consciousness of these people who purchase these bodies into the mind of uh the young black man mm -hmm. in this example mm -hmm. um and you're right, it's people who have either specific medical problems or it seemed like some people who were uh, older adults who just wanted to continue living on in a younger body. Yeah, like uh, Rose's grandmother, yep. right, is yep. in Georgina and um, there's the man with the severe visual impairment who I yep. think he's talking to. And so part of what Jordan Peele said he was going for here was how positive stereotypes can be harmful. And so in this case, he's identifying the idealizing of black bodies is what he refers to it as. And um, there are some clear ways this can be harmful. There's some research, for example, suggesting, and this is just one example because we're, <laughs> our episode, it's going to be a long one, folks, yep. but um, just to give some examples, and we'll link to other things too. There was a study recent, fairly recently that suggested that when you have white people and black people present with pain to doctors, that even with comparable levels of pain, that black patients are less likely to be prescribed the opt optimal level of pain medication to manage their pain. And part of their hypothesis about this was this idea of viewing black bodies as being more resistant to pain. And this manifests in a lot of different ways. And so this is, I thought, was really brilliant that Peel was kind of pointing out like it seems on the surface it might be a positive stereotype but it actually comes with a lot of negative consequences so we'll talk more about some of those but that's just one example mm -hmm. of a race-related theme that I thought was very powerful in this case and in this case they're idealizing the bodies as where to transfer ill people into mm -hmm. right specifically being uh which of course I assume people are listening have seen the movies but the all of the bodies that they're using are young black individuals mm -hmm. at this time. So that's kind of where that specific concept plays into the film, of course. Exactly. And this is where Jordan Peele said part of his inspiration was viewing, rather than us being, um, well, the United States being post-racial in general, was kind of saying his concerns about that um, mass incarceration was one of them, that people were being trapped um, and this was kind of an analogy for that, you know, that they're they're trapped in the sunken place. And mm -hmm. so that was what he said his part of his point was. Um, so anything else about that theme? No, I don't think so. I think okay. that covers it fairly well. And, and it was just uh, just another masterful way to talk about an important topic in the film, I thought. Yeah, because it's not like you and I, well, we're doing a podcast. We like to talk very verbal, but this was something that 
it I did feel like it was a visceral experience. Like right. it kind of like he gets his point across without telling you like this is my point. And so I thought that was a clever way to engage people. Um which I probably said 40 times, but I am really impressed. Mm-hmm. Another theme that he had was the idea that when Chris first meets Rose's parents, they're um so they kind of view themselves or kind of act like it seemed in the front like as progressive, not racist. Mm-hmm all positive things but the idea that they might act in unknowingly racist ways and we're gonna play an example of a moment from that from youtube and hopefully the sound will work we'll yeah. see how it how it goes so uh maybe i'll set the stage yeah oh yeah please good before idea. we play it uh this is right when rose they and... can't see it yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> that is how podcasts work after all this is right when rose and chris get to her parents house and they're all just kind of sitting down, and it's what you might call the awkward sort of uh, meeting uh, a, a partner's parents of the first time. And this is like, they're, we're in the heat of that moment. Right exactly. Now. So they've been chatting a little bit about how they got yeah, in. How and was then... the drive? And that's, the small talk is done now, and now the more quote-unquote real conversation is starting. Exactly. Oh, you got that. Yeah, all right. You guys look so wiped out. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? It's <laughs> not <So> long. <laughs> yeah, so just, and that's one example. Uh, another one is Rose's dad, uh, right away, like, when he meets Chris, says, oh, I voted for Obama. So mm-hmm. there's a couple of examples like that. So uh, there's a couple little examples where they're acting differently, I guess. Is, is yeah, they're at, talking differently and, like, you know, this is... And hopefully that audio went through, but basically he's saying thing in a way differently than he probably would have said if Chris was white, we're guessing. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like he's purposely trying to get some message across or something, but it's kind of like cringeworthy. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like um, part of what Peel was saying too is like he thought people would get that. And I'm like, oh, I get that. And and he was kind of like, hopefully people will notice if they do that, you know, try to not do that as much, you and, know. And it's nice because even the other people in the room are like, ugh. Like, yeah. like uh, I don't remember what the uh, mother's name is, the hypnotherapist. Dr. Hypnosis. Dr. Hypnosis. She even, like, kind of goes, ugh, and, like, shakes her head, like, seriously? Mm-hmm. You're going to say that? So, which, come to find out, she's, uh, all in all, not a very good person either. But at oh, that, that was the least of their offenses. Let's oh, put it yeah. that way. But uh, it is a good example, mm-hmm. certainly a good real life example. It and was. Uh, so, just another example of sort of, uh, you know, acting in an unknowingly racist way. It certainly portrayed really well. Yeah, and I I think that you know um, a, a real life example that was that I recently watched the stand up on Netflix by. Hassan Minaj, who's an Indian-American comedian um, who works for The Daily Show. I think he still works for The Daily Show. It's brilliant. I highly recommend it. But one of the things that he talks about in it is that he is friends with this um, girl in high school. And he goes over to their house and uh, parents are very accepting. She's white. He's Indian. He had experienced some racism prior to that, but felt very welcomed into their home ultimately it, she asks him to prom he uh isn't allowed to go to prom so he sneaks out of his window rides his bike over to her house is ready to go to prom he arrives there and she's taking pictures with another person and he 
is really beside himself. He's like, what's going on? I thought we were going to prom. And the parents, who were previously so welcoming and seeming so open-minded, said that they were concerned about what their family back home might think if they see prom pictures and she's going with someone who's not white. And that really stung. That really hurt. And so hearing that, it sounded like maybe even especially the way he told it, because they were presenting as kind of these progressive, open-minded people. And sometimes those individuals, at least I think this was part of what the message wasn't get out, can be unaware of their own racial biases mm -hmm. and unaware of how they can contribute to problems, or they don't view things like that within that lens. And so anyway, I thought that was another important point that he made. So those are just a couple of mm -hmm. specific examples from the film. Uh, if we covered every single one, we would be almost recapping the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we won't do that. Uh, I would just encourage you to watch the film again, mm -hmm. uh, maybe to think about some of this stuff through this lens after you listen to this, if if you weren't thinking about it the first time, which I assume a lot of people probably were, um, and to watch the film if you haven't seen it and you're just listening to hear us talk about it with no context at all, which was probably not the not the best way to experience mm -hmm. it but yeah because it's not um i guess he doesn't verbally tell you what to think or feel but it's very accessible like he, oh, he's absolutely. a clear communicator so yeah. it's not like you, you miss this stuff I oh right think. no yeah. I, I that mm -hmm. yeah. no i wasn't trying to uh, no i didn't think you were saying that it's yeah. just something i just wanted to talk just geek out a little bit more oh, about absolutely. the brilliance of jordan peele so i took that please anytime <laughs> i took that the new jedi council jordan peele podcast <laughs> Geek out about Get Out. <laughs> hey, I like that. That's catchy. I like it. That's going to be a new podcast. It is. But we're going to need some sequels because I think yeah. we've covered most of the content. <laughs> we really have. So let's maybe take a step back or maybe take a step to the side and tie in some of these constructs and some of these phenomenons or phenomena. Jeez, where am I at today? We used to record on Friday afternoons mm -hmm. and I could blame my misspeaking on a long week. It's Monday right now, I think. <laughs> During the summer, I can't even keep track of what day it is. And I have no idea what day it is for people who are listening to this. They could be listening to it at any time. So at any rate, let's talk about some of the things that we just finished talking about and tie it into mental health. And uh, kind of how does it tie into delivering culturally competent services? And uh, what, where does this background knowledge come from? And maybe talk a little bit about some of the things we know about how racism impacts or creates or leads to negative uh, mental health or health outcomes. That sounds good. And maybe we should first define what culturally competent oh, service sure. provision means. Within American Psychological Association and within other associations that provide health care, an important emphasis that is often there and should be there is that services are, are we work as hard as we can to make them as effective as possible for a diverse group of recipients of services. And what the research suggests, for example, is when you're looking at research with individuals who are from ethnic minority groups, that the treatment outcomes are better if the therapy is culturally tailored for them. And we'll link to this, which will go into more detail as much as you want. But what we want to talk about today, the part that I think maybe is, I won't say it's the most important, but it's certainly mm -hmm. one of the A most important piece. things of it, which is awareness mm -hmm. of the impact of racism on mental health because I do think that maybe uh, especially people who are not on the receiving end of that or who um, that it's you might not 
be aware mm -hmm. through your own observations in your day-to-day -day life about how racism can seriously impact mental health. For example, sometimes if you ask people, like uh, Peel was saying, that they think it's kind of a post-racial period and they think of um, racism kind of ending in the 60s with the civil rights movement, and I can understand that, but there are still some, there's still some evidence of racism that's important to be aware of because it does affect how we think about diagnostics and how we think about treatment and how effective we are. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we could maybe talk about is how um, there's a phenomenon called cultural paranoia. And the idea here is that there are individuals who might think that they're being targeted or that people are after them. And they, it might be misperceived as paranoia. Like we think more about if like a paranoid personality disorder or a schizophrenia diagnosis, where in those cases, people think someone's people are after them, but they're really not. <laughs> However, if you have a client who is presenting and says, you know, I walk into a store and I think because of the color of my skin, more people are watching me closely to see if I'm shoplifting or something like that. That is not the same thing as having like psychotic paranoia. There is evidence that that can happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to be aware of those things and not classify them as paranoia. Otherwise, we may be misdiagnosing. And there is evidence sometimes of this, that people get overdiagnosed as being paranoid when they're talking about these things for which there really is evidence that they are receiving more of that treatment than other people. So that would be that would be an example where it would be important in diagnostics. Maybe another example mm -hmm. too, and just in the in therapy might be we've talked a little bit about cognitive behavior therapy before, and just to maybe remind folks. So part of CBT is challenging individuals when they might have uh, negative beliefs or they might have interpreted events in a way that maybe isn't quite into in. Uh, the, doesn't quite match up with what really might have happened. So an example of that, maybe for my, if I just use myself as an mm -hmm. example to illustrate that, might be something like if I did uh, poorly on a test, so then I might think about myself, you know what, I'm just not cut out to uh, be a clinical psychologist. And if I was in a CBT session, my therapist might say, well, uh, let's challenge that thought a little bit and maybe what else might it mean? Maybe you were a little too tired or you didn't prepare as well as you could have. Does it really mean you're not cut out to make it as a psychologist? But it's important uh, to keep that in mind um, when working with people from ethnic minority groups because just like you might said, there might be things that they experienced that for maybe me, for an example, as a therapist, I might not have ever experienced. So it's important for me to take into consideration or be aware that their experience might be different than mine. Like you said, for example, uh, maybe someone was, uh, they were keeping tabs on me at the store. And maybe that might be something I've never experienced. So it would be inappropriate for me to try to challenge that belief without trying to consider and think about if that experience might have been different for that individual. Just as another example that's uh, related to therapy as opposed to diagnosis. I think that's a great point because it also shows what matters for rapport. So you, you know, imagine going back to get out, he's kind of, uh, Rod is kind of telling him like, look, this is what's going to happen when you're going to meet her white family and you can expect some of the awkwardness. He didn't expect the sunken place stuff, of course. And so he believes him. He's seen it. He's experienced it. And if you have a client who's telling you something like, look, I think that I was treated this way because of the color of my skin. I, I think that maybe I'm making less money or I think mm -hmm. that people were more suspicious of me or said these things because of that. 
and you assume that it's a cognitive distortion because you mm-hmm. have not experienced that by virtue of who you are, it's going to be very hard for that client to trust you, you know, and because why would they open themselves up about what's going on if you aren't validating or believing what's true? Or about even minimizing. Them? Exactly. Yeah, minimizing or getting defensive mm-hmm. about it or something like mm-hmm. that. It's just, it's not helpful. And so we gave some kind of typical examples that people might bring within a session, and we're going to talk about larger uh, systemic examples as well. But those, that, I think those are some main ways that you can see kind of. Uh, why a meta-analysis or a study of studies found that when you culturally tailor treatment, it tends to be more effective. And it's important to have treatment that is effective for most people as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about awareness, we maybe we started talking about some um, how where racism exists, and then said so we'd kind of get into some of where there are still areas of racism. And so maybe we'll highlight a couple of those, but we're also going to link to a blog post that I wrote actually as a result of preparing for that diversity class that has links to more and kind of list form and stuff like that. So maybe one place we'll start is fairly recently, the U.S. Department of Education did a survey of America's public schools and they revealed um, troubling racial disparities. I'm reading from the title on that. Um, So one example of that is that when you look at advanced courses, we found differences in who had access to advanced courses. So 81% of Asian American high school students and 71% of high school students attend high schools where there's a full range of math and science courses. However, compare that to less than half of American Indian and Native Alaskan high school students who have access to the full range of math and science classes. Black students about 50% of black students, 67% of Latino students, and 63% of students with disabilities have less access to the full range of courses. So I just threw a bunch of numbers at you, but I want to I want to draw one particular parallel. So if you look at white and Asian students, it's 71 and 81% are having access to the full range of advanced courses. When we look at black Latino and American Indian students, those numbers go down to between less than half and um, 67% for Latino students. So what we're seeing here is that depending on your race, you're getting a different educational experience. And we know that education is important for mobility in society. We know that so much comes from the, that foundation, that educational foundation. So here we're already seeing this. And Um, It's troubling and and means that there's work to be done in this area. In addition, this survey also found that black students represent 18% of preschool enrollment, but 42% of students suspended once and 48% of the students suspended more than once. And looking into this, there has been some research on this general trend, finding that it's, it's not due to different behaviors, but differential discipline. And so this is an example of where if someone comes in and they said, my child's getting suspended from preschool and it, do, it seems like he's getting more harshly punished than other children who are a different race, you really want to listen to that and look into it and because there is evidence that that's happening. It's best to give your clients the benefit of the doubt anyway, but I think when it comes to race, some people are uncomfortable with the idea that racism exists and therefore might get defensive and not be as open 
as they would be usually towards other things. So. Which I think goes back to one of the main <laughs> points of what we've been trying to mm-hmm. say at the beginning is how important Get Out is as a yeah. movie and uh, the importance of art as a way through to communicate those kind of uh, ideas and topics that might elicit that kind of defensiveness. Exactly, and it's our job as therapists to reduce our defensiveness, oh, right? So it's uh, and, that's and be where aware we t- of any uh, implicit biases that we might have to. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh but, no, no, yeah. that's okay. Um, so that's an example with regard to education. When you look within the criminal justice system, there are a number of examples. Again, I'll link to them, but just to give one quick kind of clear cut example that's based on FBI data. If you look from 2001 to 2010 at the percentage of white people and percentage of black people who use marijuana, there are not statistically significant differences in use. However, when you look at the arrest rates, individuals who are black who use marijuana are much more likely to get arrested for marijuana possession. And so this is an example, again, where it's a racial disparity because there's similar use between black and white individuals, but black individuals are way more likely to get arrested. And arrests, of course, have a lot of implications. It can mean that you have difficulty getting employed. Mm -hmm. It could affect your ability to vote. Mm -hmm. And so this is a major concern and um, issue that I think you know, I'd like to think is getting some media attention, but we all sometimes end up, not all of us, but many of us end up sometimes with um, limited scope in the media we have access to. So it's hard to know. That's why I look at Pew Research, too, because they tend to do the more general polling of yeah. things. So, but the point is, if if you're not aware of this and you're a therapist or even just want to be uh, more aware of the world, these are good things to listen to. Hopefully my blog post has some starting links, mm-hmm. but there are people who know much more about this, have much more expertise in this, that have written books and oh, yeah. like a lot a, more information. Like, uh, yeah. A lot of the topics that we cover, yeah. this is really just a primer, just mm-hmm. to kind of introduce some of exactly. these topics and give really quick, specific examples. But by no means are we experts in this area, nor is this a comprehensive review of everything that we know. No, it's yeah. not. And so maybe I'll uh, mention a couple. I'm talking a lot just because okay. I've done, yeah. a, I've you, done a couple talks on you're this. You're but... quite literally in this uh, situation, the teacher, whereas I am only <laughs> the true. student. So. That's true. But Brandon will be student, back with his pearl of wisdom, yeah. don't you worry. <laughs> um, so two other major areas that I want to mention is that there was a study done I think uh, published in about 2013. Now, this is interesting. I have a personal relation to this. Uh, Keith Bentley and Aaron O'Brien, who are sociologists, did a study looking to see um, kind of legislation enacted that's designed to restrict voting, for example, or is there new legislation to make it harder to vote Mm -hmm. in certain ways? And they were just looking to see, is there any correlation between that legislation? Because most people say that's to reduce voter fraud, which there's not a lot of evidence of that. And so what they were looking to see, is it related to higher black voter turnout? And so what they found in this study from looking at uh, restrictive voter provisions passed from 2006 to 2011 that states with higher black turnout were more likely to restrict voting. So this suggests, and there's been some, um, there have been some big cases of this, right? That there's legislation that seems to unfairly uh, make it more difficult for minority voters to to vote. And so this is an example again, where if you feel like someone's saying, "I feel like people are trying to keep me out of um, participating." in our governmental system. Like, there is evidence of that. And the personal note I should mention, so I saw this when I was 
preparing for class. And Keith Bentley, I actually had met in high school years and years and years ago um, through a mutual friend. So it was just kind of cool to see that he ended up long before either of us were in college. It was kind of cool to see that he took this path and um, is a professor. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, So maybe I'll just mention one other thing. I mean, because like you said, there are podcasts. Oh, yeah exclusively about this there are books there are a lot of resources we're just going to try to connect to some of them as a primer like brandon said but one other example is uh, many people i don't know the exact percentage i would say there are people aware of historically how housing was segregated in the united states that there were literally like in chicago um red lining maps where people who were in red zone areas, which were overrepresented by ethnic minority individuals, were un- were denied federal housing association um, mortgages. So they were at a disadvantage, and it was much more difficult for them to keep their homes, own their homes, things like that. And so people kind of view that as, a, you know, like I, I'm looking at a map, which our listeners can't see, mm-hmm. but Brandon can verify is here from Truly. 1939, okay? And so... I think people like to think that stuff is done. Unfortunately, more recently, there the Department of Justice also had um, huge lawsuits, or I, I don't know the exact way to say this, but they reached settlements with large um, companies because there was evidence that they were disproportionately giving a disadvantage to African-American and Hispanic borrowers. So for example, they would have people who were white and black and Hispanic who had similar credit scores, and the individuals who were black or Hispanic were less likely to get the um, the best loan deals. So they were more likely to get subprime loans and charged higher fees. And that's, I mean, that's hugely problematic. So one of, so again, we'll link to this, but one of the settlements was $335 million. The others was $175 million. So you can still see this housing discrimination existing. And now they've put into place when you buy a house, kind of verifying that you're not um, being biased towards that person, which again, it's good for people to be aware that there is bias. I don't know how much that that's going to help, but at least there's a precedent now that if this is happening, you can be prosecuted for it as it should be. So, so anyway, um, again, you know, and the way it would maybe work out with if a client comes in and says, I don't think I'm getting the best advice on my housing loan. Mm -hmm. And most of us are not experts about that. I'm sure not. Um, You rely a lot on the people who are giving you the information. Mm -hmm. And so if you suspect that you're not being treated fairly, I mean, there is some evidence that that happens. And so those are just a few examples of places where modern racism exists and can affect people's mental health. I mean, because think about the subjective experience of being discriminated against. That's one part of it. But the other part of it is losing access to things like, well, being arrested Mm -hmm. and being more likely to be arrested, um, having a hard time voting, not being able to get into housing. I mean, these are major portions of life that can affect us. And that's why it is uh, therapists and mental health professionals should really work to reduce and do away with this. Yeah, absolutely. To therefore increase the mental health and well-being of people. And do away with, not really reduce. I mean, reduce, I was saying, is more of like the starting point. Yeah. But really, um, there there shouldn't, there shouldn't be these differences because we all lose out when people can't all live up to their potential. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well said, Katie. Thanks. Uh, maybe uh, we'll just sort of recap the episode, kind of to move us into a conclusion. So talked a little bit about uh, Get Out and kind of recapped how much we really liked the movie and we really liked Jordan Peele. I'm excited to get to know a little more about him and some of his work that I missed out on. Um, and how he used art and used Get Out as a film to address some concerns and fears that he has about racism in our country in a way that was really engaging and really quite clever and uh, reduced defensiveness and sort of uh, elicited uh, you to really feel or empathize with the main character, Chris, and some of the things that he's experiencing and talked a little bit just about, um, yeah, that was, what did we talk about right after that? How can I not remember? Well, we're literally still Oh, recording. just some of it, the race-related Oh, yeah, some of the yeah. race-related themes. Yeah, we talked about some of the specific examples. Mm-hmm. Some of the, thank you for the assist there, Katie. Jeez, I have one job that's on this show. That's why we co-host. Yeah, that's right. If I was just by myself, I'd be here all day trying to remember. Uh, so, yeah, talked about some of the specific examples, and only just a few because there's so many uh, examples throughout the film. Talked a little bit about uh, how this ties into mental health and our work as therapists and educators and just uh, how it can specifically impact therapy or diagnosis things like that and then uh gave some individual sort of therapy examples and then talked you did about some of the systemic racism as well as the impacts that might have as well that's a pretty good recap i think i think so i'm gonna add something that i hadn't previously said Uh, another thing that i that i that is really important is i mean it's important to be aware of discrimination and the negative effects but there's remarkable resilience from there's evidence that if you're connected to your cultural identity and know about the strengths in your culture, that that can improve your well-being. And so one thing that therapists can do with their clients is look for points of cultural pride that they have and where they find strength. And so like one example that I've mentioned before is when you look at um, suicide rates, one of the groups that has the lowest suicide rates in the United States are black women. And so it's not because there are less stressors, right? We just talked about some of the various stressors related to racism and so what psychological strengths and there have been some different suggestions related to um, having social connections there have been some suggestions related to connections to spirituality and to others and so it's important to also to to look at that side of this great resilience that people have in the face of these things yes we should work to end racial discrimination for sure. But in the meantime, let's look at how people have made it through these hardships. And that's very inspirational. There is a lot to be proud of. And I think that balanced approach is necessary to provide the best services possible for your client. And also, you know, for some clients, their race is going to be more or less relevant to the reason they're presenting. They're a good guide for that. They might not view it as relevant to their specific problem. Maybe they're presenting for something and they don't view that at all as part of it. Then that doesn't have to be part of therapy. So you're really, it's, they're the guides in this. Yeah. Well, that was like a pearl of wisdom. (laughs) I think I'm just going to give you the pearl of wisdom credit this week. Okay. Because I thought that was really good. And maybe I'll just add, watch Get Out and and just think about awareness and how it might uh, come into play in your life. That sounds very good. Yeah, just a little 1.5 Pearl of Wisdom. I like it. I also have to give credit to someone that I didn't name by name in our final take, Yesenia, who is the expert on smoking cessation that I talked about last time. So I talked about all the stuff she told me, but I didn't mention her name. So thank you, Yesenia, for being a consult to us. I really appreciate that. And 
you said you'd listen, and I appreciate it. So I'm hoping for your feedback for anything I got wrong. Yeah. You have the Jedi Council seal of approval. <laughs> That's well right. Well done. It's a coveted award. <laughs> it's true. All right. So any last thoughts, Katie, before we maybe sign off and close out on our Get Out uh, mini series two-part episode? No, I think I, I've said a lot that this is something I feel very passionately about and care a lot about, but also feel like I want to get it perfect, but then we would never finish an yeah. episode on it. So instead, I'll just say, uh, let me know what I got wrong. Let me know what I can add. And in the meantime, we'll link you to a lot of other places where you can get additional information. Absolutely. That sounds good. Well, as always, folks, thank you so much for listening. We hope you like what you hear. I assume you are if you're still listening after 56 minutes. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a, almost a record long episode. Um, and there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. It's an important uh, topic and, and it's just worth talking about. So I have no regrets about spending an hour on it at all. Um, if you do like what we hear, we absolutely love getting those reviews on iTunes. They really mean a lot to us. We read them all. Uh, we have read them on air. We don't always because, well, we just have a, a lot of other things to talk about, ev evidenced by the length of this episode and others. Um, so we, But we do appreciate them when you get those to us and also just checking us out on Facebook and Twitter. And we just love uh, when people chat with us about characters or ideas or topics or questions that they have. Uh, either we can tell you about what we know or we can find you a resource. So we really appreciate that. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening in. And uh, you'll hear from us next week.